This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here, sharing a couple of quick housekeeping notes as we get ready to kick off season two of the Tech Money podcast. First, I want to make sure you're aware we have a brand new home and a brand new look online. The show now has its own dedicated website with each of the past podcast episodes and blog posts all in one place. That web address is tech-money.com. Again, that's tech-money.com. We welcome your feedback, so feel free to shoot us a note and let us know what you think. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the Tech Money newsletter. The newsletter is also a new edition that will be released every Friday afternoon and include our most recent blog posts, podcast episodes, and any interesting news around technology and or money that we think you'd like to. Also, a quick thank you to our super passionate audience of money nerds. In 2021, our first year of production, we reached over 20,000 downloads, actually in less than 10 months, but who's counting? Anyone who's ever created a podcast before knows just how big an accomplishment that is, and that couldn't have happened without your support. We also appreciate those of you who have written into the show's email inbox or messaged us via social media. And just as an FYI, the email address has changed too. You can now reach out to us with any questions, comments, or kudos via podcast at tech-money.com. Again, that's podcast at tech-money.com. We look forward to our next listener questions episode where we share some of your favorite emails uh, with the entire listening audience. And if you haven't already, we ask that you keep sharing this show with your friends and colleagues, leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcast listening app, and also subscribe so that new episodes will show up in your podcast feed automatically. These things will help more people discover this show and help us to expand the community of money nerds even more. Now with that, let's get into the show. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking financial literacy. More specifically, we're talking about teaching financial literacy to kids using technology. As your young person begins to edge into adulthood, how do you make sure he or she has the knowledge and skills needed to make smart financial decisions? It's critical to recognize that becoming financially independent will not happen on accident. It requires a series of seemingly small, intentional, and disciplined decisions be made on an ongoing basis. And the earlier we can learn those habits and begin to make them a regular part of our lives, the more likely we are to achieve our own version of financial independence someday. Fortunately, 
there are lots of tools out there designed to help parents teach and guide their kids on their way to financial autonomy. However, I am by no means an expert on any of them. So I decided to call up someone who is. So on today's episode, I'll be talking with Evan Leaphart, the founder of Kitty Credit, a mobile chore tracking app designed to teach kids about credit. Evan is a serial entrepreneur with a passion for both financial literacy and innovation, and he creates online curriculums for schools, organizations, and families to teach children about the fundamentals of finance. He's also one of the co-founders of the Black Men Talk Tech conference series in Miami, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit as well. So with that brief introduction, welcome Evan Leapart to the Tech Money Podcast. How's it going, Malcolm? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I appreciate you doing this. So I breezed through your resume pretty quickly in my intro. What else should I have included in there? Man, it's it's what you should should not have said. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking by that, but what I mean is I'm I'm not the financial guru, you know. I I started this whole project with Kitty Credit because I saw firsthand how having a poor credit score can make your life difficult as an adult. Mm-hmm. And when I started to look back on things, I realized that yeah, clearly it was my own my own mistakes that got me there. But I really knew nothing about how credit worked and. The more I started just talking about this problem is like, man, where was this when I was a kid? I, I had the same thing. You realize that credit was a big challenge for everybody. So yeah. um, that's what I would have included is that I, I, I suffered, too. <laughs> so interestingly enough, I've openly shared, I don't know, tons of times whenever I talk to college students about my own issues in college with uh, credit, with just using credit to live a little too high on the hog, if you will. Um, and so making, you know, really unnecessary purchases that ultimately I had to spend the next year and a half to two years after graduating, uh, basically paying off. Cause I realized like, if I wanted to have any kind of a life after this as an adult, I'm going to have to just commit now and get it done and, and move on. And so I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I'm always like, anytime somebody's like, what should I tell my college age kids, kid about money? I'm like, Avoid credit cards at all costs. That's my, <laughs> my that's, that's my wisdom right there. You can do anything else later. You can get all get to all the rest of the stuff after the fact. Just make it through co- college without any credit card debt, and you'll be in much better position than I was. I think we've all paid for eight hundred dollar Jordans, and what I mean by that is buying them for one fifty and then making minimum payments every month for years. <laughs> for me, the the point that really struck a, a chord with me was paying thirty five dollars in overdraft fees for a $5 sandwich at Subway. That's when I really was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm hustling backwards here. Like I really got the $40 foot long. Yeah. I gotta get, I gotta get better about this whole, uh, money management thing. And, and lo and behold, it turned into a, uh, a pretty great career later on down the road. So I'm glad I did figure it out. But, uh, in preparation for this show though, for this interview, I did some reading online and I learned that you and I actually have something else in common. I believe you were also the kid in the neighborhood who was the go-to snow shoveler and leaf raker and everything else in order to make a few dollars for yourself. That was me, man. I had the the little, uh, business cards on paper, with like the house phone number, no cell phone at the time. Same, same. I, I, when I went off to college, people were still calling my house, uh, looking for, for, for my lawn care service, leaving voicemails you know, in the <laughs> house. Uh, like if I had a place to play the tapes at this point, I, I probably would listen to them for, uh, amusement at this point. But was that something like your parents pushed on you or is that just your personality as a kid growing up? I think it was like my personality. I mean, my, my mom had, you know, the, 
the the go-getter spirit in her. She had a gift mm-hmm. basket business when we were younger, um, but she was a flight attendant. So I spent a lot of time like on my own as a kid, right? And just kind of a curious kid and just always trying to like figure stuff out. So like that, that characteristic a lot of times transfers over to entrepreneurs. Yeah. So, um, you know, you kind of see a problem and you're like, man, like how could we fix this? It's, it's funny, uh, like not to go on too much of a tangent here, but I remember when I was younger, I was in school and I was like, man, like I, these headphones, like I wish there was a way for me to listen to music in class. And like, so my hmm. teachers wouldn't know, like, what if you could have these little wireless earbuds that you could put in your ears? True story. And I, I, I don't know if you remember these, but you remember these uh, commercials that came up? It was like the caveman and it was like invent help. Yep, Do you I remember, remember these things at all? Yeah. Right. So I, I called them and I got this big packet and I started like drawing out like what these like wireless things would be like hmm. I, I had no idea how they would techno- technologically connect but it was like those are like airpods or bluetooth before before anything but um but yeah I've it's al- funny always, how always tried to be like that it's funny how as an entrepreneur timing is probably the second most important ingredient to having a good idea because you could have come up with that idea uh three or four years later and probably been right on time, mm-hmm. right? You would have had a mm-hmm. chance to learn how Bluetooth technology already works and adapted it to that. Or you could have been born 10 years later and Bluetooth was already something you were already living with. And you could have had your headphones in your ear in the middle of class and nobody would have known. And you'd have just, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, yep. it's interesting how timing has such an impact on these things. But um, on a, I guess, related slash unrelated note, I mentioned in the, the intro, you're also one of the co-founders uh, of the Black Men Tech Talk Tech Conference down in Miami. Can you say a bit about that conference and why it was important to see that come to fruition? Yeah, um, for me, I have always try to explain my, my journey as a tech founder. Cause it, even though we've, you know, done a decent amount in a short period of time mm-hmm. in like 2017, 2018, like I knew absolutely nothing about tech and like the things that, you know, just come second nature to some of my founder friends in the space, like understanding what a data room is, if you're trying to mm-hmm. raise money or understanding a safe or, you know, building a, a wireframes and what an MVP is like, all of these things were foreign to me. And it was like, I didn't really have a, a tribe around me of yeah. uh, people that could help skill me up quickly. So when, uh, you know, when the, the conference was was brought to my attention, it's in, I guess, 2018, uh, by, by an individual Tamante that I know down here in Miami, I was like, I don't think I can do this. But there's a lot of, I, I, I had to kind of think and say, like, this is something that's bigger than, than me. And if I can help put this together, especially here in Miami, where I, I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of founders in the space, we struggle to find our tribe down, down here as, as black founders, uh, it meant a lot to put together. And then as we did it, and, and mind you too, we did this in partnership with Black Women Talk Tech, which had been around for like two or three years before us too. And they had put together a phenomenal program. So we were just trying to replicate it for the fellas. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's been a cool journey so far. The first year was in person. Uh, the second and then third years have been virtual just due to COVID, but mm-hmm. it's really been an awesome experience for not just founders, but also investors. We have VCs that are now running large funds that really kind of started during that time period of our tech conference uh, in mm-hmm. that inaugural year. So, I mean, it, it just, it feels good to have been part of something that's added value to the ecosystem. 
Yeah, I so I'm actually a fan. I, I attended virtually last year, but I'm I'm looking forward to getting to be there in person if COVID permits. But like I so I, I happened to stumble across it. I was on LinkedIn, I don't know, a couple of years ago maybe, and I saw this unicorn ambition conference thing. And I was looking at the pictures, the marketing of the folks like on the stages and stuff. And that obviously mm-hmm. is what got my attention. And I was like, huh, what is this? And then saw Black Men Talk Tech and I was like, huh, what is this? And then I saw Miami, which happens to be one of my favorite cities uh anywhere. And I was like, an excuse to go to Miami and talk tech. Yep. Okay. Like, and I keep hearing actually about Miami having its own, like, I don't even know if burgeoning is the word anymore, but like developing tech scene that uh, is not being paid that much attention yet in comparison to, you know, San Francisco, Austin, New York. Um, but still people are aware that like Miami has its own tech hub that deserves some, some respect these days. Yeah, no, it went, it, it took a, a, a positive turn from just being something that was like kind of a Twitter conversation mm-hmm. uh, that started by a viral tweet from from the mayor where somebody asked the question of like, hey, what if we move Silicon Valley to Miami? But it's it's led to, you know, during the pandemic, I always it's a controversial thing to say. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't mean this seriously, but I'm like Miami is a city just economically won the pandemic, right? Like there was a, just a huge <laughs> boost in jobs that came here and, uh, you know, and just opportunities around tech to where like I, I am seeing people that are tremendous developers getting jobs and being able to be in Miami and being remote, you know? So I've, I've always been long on the city of Miami mm-hmm. for kind of the reasons that are happening now. I've lived here for 17 years, but I've always said, you know, we're, we're transitioning to a world of remote work. And if that at some point becomes the norm, people are going to want to work where they want to live. And when it comes to that, and when you can just choose a location, Miami's always going to be, you know, at, at the top of that list, or at least somewhere along the top. So yeah, who wouldn't uh, want to work that, from the beach? Exactly. So that that's what's <laughs> starting that's starting to happen now. So it's really it's really cool to see. And, you know, so I always say like the, the tech space overall in Miami is truly booming. Um, you know, when you start to break it down into different segments, you know, especially for folks of color and stuff, we still have a lot of work to do. But there's a lot of people here that that care. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic more than pessimistic about the future of the city. I dig it. So from what I can tell, it seems like you have a passion for financial literacy in general. Right. Can you share a bit about that and why it's so important to you. So we, we initially talked about sort of your uh, initial, uh, you know, you growing up and kind of having this mindset of like, I have an idea. I want to see how I can turn this idea into a thing. But beyond that, and now turning that the tide a little bit more to focusing specifically on financial literacy, can you can you expand on that a little bit of why it's so important to you? Yeah, it was just really, like, you know, again, it was like my my problem and my my battle with it and i was like yes to credit is everything like we don't even talk about it enough it's like you know, yeah. like you could you could save a ton of money and then you you're like okay i'm ready to buy my house now and they're like well you have bad credit or you don't even have credit at all therefore we can't give you a mortgage uh yeah. or like you have a great business idea not every business is venture backed and you may want to get a business loan or line of credit and you know your credit's in the way so when it came to all of the solutions I saw around the issue, they're all corrective solutions and not really preventative. So I was like, how do we, 
how do we change that? But I mean, that, that whole conversation that I had with myself was, was over a decade ago. I, I've, I've wasted money year after year owning kittycredit.com, the domain, because I was like, one sure. day I'll finally learn how to make an app. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was, I was fortunate to have a buddy of mine, Matt Cohen, who, who had built an app before, just really sit down with me over pizza and beers and we would just sketch out what this thing could actually look like. So for, for me, it's, it's a passion to start the conversation earlier because on a deeper level, when you look at the wealth gap in our country, like the two biggest generators of wealth as it exists today for, for individuals in America are going to be your, your ownership in real estate, be it land or, or, or property and uh, equity in a business. And credit can be one of the biggest barriers for for folks to to acquire those things. So it's like, you know, we, we talk about saving and we talk about investing in those things are absolutely important. But credit is always kind of like the stepchild in the conversation. So it's just always been big. big it's interesting you say that. I, I want to expand on that point for a second, because one of the things that I'm constantly telling younger people about, especially like younger people, I mean, Gen Z and millennials, right? Folks in their 20s, 30s and maybe even 40s, like Working with clients, working with my traditional financial planning clients, I've noticed the trend where you can be diligent savers, earn a high income and save your way into like two million, two and a half, maybe three million dollars in overall net worth by the time you retire in your 60s. If you're really good about living under below your means and really good about saving and investing. Right. So over like a 30 year career, you're saving the maximum amount you can into your 401k plans and you're saving the maximum amount you can, you know, into IRAs and things like that. Like just with compound growth in the markets, you can hit two and a half, three million dollars is really the cap. And then for the folks that we work with who are in like the 10 million plus range, they always without fail have either been attached to some sort of wealth creation in a business or they own a significant amount of real estate and have benefited from the appreciation of that real estate over a long period of time. So to your point, like the two ways to really get wealthy in this country, not just, you know, be comfortable are either be one of the early employees to a business that grows really big or own real estate in the right place at the right time and be very patient. Like those are your two, your two options to have that kind of transformational uh, wealth happen to you. hundred percent. Like, that's it. <laughs> you know, I'm all, yeah. like you can't say, you can't save your way out of poverty. And I mean, like, like you know, I, I, I say that lightly, but it's just like to just really get from one bracket to another. It, it really has to be one of those two buckets, man. It's, it's either real estate or it's, or it's equity in a business. How, however that equity comes to you. So I, uh, I, I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, the fact that you were sitting on the idea for Kitty Credit about 10 years uh, before you actually decided to pursue it. And I've heard you refer to yourself uh, as a person who once upon a time suffered from having good ideas and limited resources. So can you just expand on that a little bit? The the journey as it relates to you, you know, you as an entrepreneur, but then also what was the catalyst that ultimately got you to take action after sitting on the idea for so long? Yeah. I mean, I like, I took actions, but like, in they're, they're laughable to which to me at the time were like, oh, like, you know, making strides, like we set up the email account, like 
great. <laughs> right. Like, I think I had, uh, I think I had this Kickstarter campaign that I was going to start. I used to have the link for, it. I can't find it. I mean, it was like, it was trash. The, the cool thing to see is like the mission of it. It's like mm-hmm. super consistent from like 2011, 2012, whenever I did it. But, um, it was just funny. I think it was like one of the perks was like for like a thousand dollars, you could like be on our board of directors. Like I had no idea what I was talking about, <laughs> you know? And then like, I, I think I was trying to raise like $10,000 through it. You know, mine just wasn't, uh, this wasn't an equity crowdfunding thing, but it was like, do you even know how much it would take to build an app? Like I didn't know, I didn't know anything, you know? Yeah. So as founders, that's why your network is so important. Like I would say even before you kind of start things, right. Is like, I, w- I did a lot of falling forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think one of the best things that's helped me in my entrepreneurial career is when I wasn't an entrepreneur, I was a sales job. Like it was, it was either one of the two. It was literally, ne- like literally, never anything else. Maybe an occasional off job here or there, but it was always I was either a sales rep or entrepreneur because I felt those are the two, two career pathways where your compensation is a direct correlation to how hard you work. You you mm-hmm. you get out what you put in, and um, yeah, I just like I didn't know what was necessary to build these apps. So I, I think. It was once I started to conversate with Matt about his journey and him being a non-technical founder, like you'll hear that term a lot in tech, like, are you the technical mm-hmm. founder or non-technical? And um, him being a non-technical founder and then him getting his app built and then just starting to see realistically, like, okay, this is something that's going to cost me about thirty or 50000 to really, like, get anywhere at all. And I was finally at a place to where that was realistic, right? Like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, well, 10 years ago, that wasn't feasible for me to just be like, all right, well, I got 40. Let's just sure. throw this at it and see what happens, you know? And and that's also another challenge that I try to explain to just folks in the ecosystem is that the the friends and family money that, you know, some, some of my friends can just pull together. Like, mm-hmm. not everybody can just pull together $100,000. Some people can't even pull together 10, you know? Yeah. So. I finally felt like one, my credit score was in a decent space. Uh, I have a, a decent amount, a, a decent amount of money. Like we can really give this a try. Like I have a decent network around me. Like this is this is probably a good time to do it if you're going to do it at all. Um, you know, I was like, well, what are you? And, and also too, a thing that was kind of nagging me is like, you know, when you start a project, like what should, what's the domain expertise? Like why you? Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, I had been mentoring mentoring youth for quite some time. So I was like, you know, it's not, it's not off brand to see me be somebody that's, that's taking this project head on. Um, but mm-hmm. once we built the wireframes, we, we did a bunch of interviews. We looked at some overseas developers, some developers here in the States, you know, and, and the one thing you always hear is, you know, it, it's best to have your CTO in house and went on an endless search. And then we got lucky and we, and we found our guys here in Miami, Vic, he's been amazing. And, um, you know, just been been off to the races, but it's just a continual learning journey. But I just I didn't have the resources for those first couple of years. The only thing I could afford to do was was pay the twelve ninety nine a month to to make sure <laughs> I don't lose the domain. I got my receipts though. If you go ahead and check our Twitter, you'll see like we opened that account in like twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. So I'm I'm not I'm not rambling here. 
<laughs> no, no, no. I, I look. I get it. I, I probably have like fifteen domains sitting inside of Squarespace that someday I'm going to get to actually someday, man. We all got that it, right? someday. So, so I, I completely understand. Um, uh, like, don't don't feel like you're alone. But let's let's dig in a little bit deeper on Kitty Credit itself for a second, right? Explain how the platform works exactly. Yep. So in short, chore tracking app teaches kids about credit where the premise is the better they do their chores, the better their quote unquote credit score. So think of a missed chore like a missed payment. Longer you've had hmm. a chore, like the longer you've had a credit card. And anytime a kid's asking for something, mm-hmm. which they get to redeem their bamboo bucks for, that's what they get weekly based on what their credit score is. So if they say, hey, I want to redeem this. Hey, dad, I want to redeem this. Each time they do that, it's like an inquiry. So mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time, uh, after asking so many times during the course of the week, it'll then start to affect their scores. So we just try to create this simulated environment between you know solid foundational habits and the mechanics mm-hmm. of the FICO score. And it's intended for a preteen audience. How we make money as, as, as a business is we do not charge the parents. So it's free for mm-hmm. anybody to download. But we give organizations like after school programs or schools, for example, could add a task that would then show up on the family chore board and then or or reward. So instead of that chore board just saying, Evan, clean room, Evan, make bed, it could also say, Evan, ask mom to sign permission slip. Right. Hmm. And um, yeah, so that that's essentially in short how the product works. And uh, we've, you know, we've been at it, launched it in 2018, but didn't really go at it full, full time until 2020. Um, mm-hmm. And we've had, you know, some big wins to date. So I, I would say our biggest is our partnership with Equifax, who isn't just a partner, but also a client. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, who could you want to have a better relationship with than one of the companies responsible for telling mom and dad whether their credit is is up to par or not? 100%. And it's funny because that was actually, I look at like some of my initial pitch decks, a credit bureau relationship was like the exit strategy. I was like, one day <laughs> the credit bureaus will like look at us. I wasn't expecting it to be like our entry strategy. So there's areas. All right, well, that's where it. We're, You're we're, done. We're behind. Mission accomplished. It's, it's done. All right, I'm gonna take the headphones off. We're, <laughs> we're <laughs> mission accomplished. But no, like lots of work to do. But it was it's cool to be kind of starting out with 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 them behind us, and they've been a very very supportive partner. It's a very multifaceted partnership, as I always say. Well, why credit, though? Like there were so many other interesting projects to work on, so many other hard problems to try and solve, even with youth that you're mentoring. Right. There's other things that are are a big issue to try and work on. What made you decide that this was the one? Just going back to the you know, what I was saying about it being the catalyst for wealth creation. Right. Like if you don't have that many resources to start out with, a good credit score can really get you far in this country if, if managed mm-hmm. properly. Um, and, you know, there's always been, I mean, there's companies out there now that are crushing it, you know, Greenlight, Goldsetter, Go Henry, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And they, they live in that space of like debit cards and mm-hmm. savings and investing. And, and it's they're, it, it's not re- reinventing the wheel. And I, I, you know, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying it's those are things that have existed, right? Like I remember when I was a kid, I had a debit card for kids called Visa Bucks. Sure. You know, it's just they have done a fantastic job at really just, you know, spending it for the new generation. It's a better mousetrap. But there's ne- yeah, but there's never really been 
a focus that ties together like allowance and credit. There was a product that was that gamified credit education, which I thought was was pretty cool too. Cause I, I you know, it was kind of one of those things like, oh cool, somebody else is working on this problem around credit. There was a lady by the name of Angel Rich. She created something yeah, called Angel. Credit Stacker. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that, I was like, man, cool, somebody else is trying to tackle the problem. Um, but you know, again, that was more so just kind of a gamify candy crush type environment, not really mm-hmm. trying to what we wanted to do was have something that's not an, an of the moment fun experience. It's something yeah. that's fundamentally done over time because credit is habitual. And uh, that's where we're like, man, what's what's the most common denominator in the home around habits and it's chores. So that was, you know, just, just really having a unique value prop was like why I wanted to just stay in this space. So anytime that we think about like where's next for us, what's in the roadmap, it's like what's the most credit focused next step that we can take. And we just mm-hmm. try to stick to that mantra. And so far it's been good for us. So what's interesting too is as I – uh, was thinking about this as I was like learning about the the platform um, in preparation for this episode. I was thinking, I was flashing back. I used to volunteer with Junior Achievement, who I'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard of in the space that you're in. And essentially, for anybody who's not familiar, they built these campuses, if you will, that they bring students, uh, middle school, high school students into that allow them to spend the day going through all a, a makeshift city or town or whatever pretending to be their parents, basically. So like you get X number of dollars, you roll the dice, you pick up a card, you've got X life that you get to live. And so you've got to go pay the cable bill. You've got to go pay for daycare. You've got to go pay for, you know, your car broke down and you need to go get a new one or you need to go get it repaired or whatever. And they're literally spending their day learning how to budget, how to, how to work a household budget, like mom and dad or mom alone or dad alone or whatever. Like they, they really get to live these lives of adults. And it started making me think about that because what I learned through that experience, every time I went, I was surprised by how interested the kids were in learning these things. And I was also surprised by like the level and the quality of the questions that these sixth, seventh, eighth graders were asking. And it, made me realize that we don't really give kids enough credit for just how ready they are to learn these things. Like as parents, we don't give the kids enough credit for like being ready to handle what we consider to be like high level information and like very complicated things. It's really not necessarily that complicated if you root it in things that they already understand, which it sounds like you guys are doing with the whole chores because who can't relate to doing chores as a kid? Yep. It's about like simplifying it, right? And making it making it easy enough for like, it's like, if it's easy enough for a kid to understand, then we can finally make it easy enough for adults to understand. Like four out of 10 adults don't even understand how their credit score is calculated. And yep. there's over 91 million adults consider credit challenge. So there's a, like it's a, it's a real problem because we've just made it, thing is very difficult to grasp, right? Like fortunately there's things that are coming around like the credit karmas and credit sesames and mints and nerd wallets of the world that make it a little simpler for the people that take the time to try and understand it. But it's still something where people like, why did it go down this month or, you know? So yeah, it's, it's uh, I think it's a topic where we've just been afraid to put it in the schools Mm -hmm. for some reason. I mean, maybe it's by design, who knows? But I, I think the, the more that we just start to have kids financially prepared in all aspects credit savings investing donating earning like it's you know it'll be a better better experience i i think they've taken like home ec out of schools and like that was that was such a a vital 
class. <laughs> like oh, I, you didn't I even have that when I, I was in high school. Yeah, I remember. I, I don't think I had it in high school. I think I had it in middle school. I don't. Not okay. I, think, but I, don't, I don't think I had it in, in high school. But it was like I was learning to like cook. I was like, oh, this is what my 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 parents do. Like they they cook. They pay bills. Like adulting. Like yeah. I I remember those things. I don't remember calculus. You know. <laughs> um, so I I think it's just we have a long way to go around this 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 overarching topic of financial literacy in general. We do, but I have a feeling that you guys are going to unintentionally teach uh, unintentionally, or maybe it is intentional. And you can tell me after we, we, we turn off the mics and it's just us here, but I have a feeling you guys are going to end up teaching some adults a thing or two about building good cre- credit habits as well. Right. Have you already noticed that happening or am I dead wrong in that assumption? We no, we, we've, we've intended for it to be that. So like when you're on the kid side of the app, like each component that breaks down your credit score as a kid, it's simple. It's like, Hey, do you know? Don't miss your, don't miss your chores. It hurts your score. But mm-hmm. on the parent side of the app, we're like, hey, like you know, for chores that your your kid misses, it'll affect your score. Just like how, as an adult, if you miss a payment, it affects your score. And th- those are the those are the simple things that people know. It's it's kind of the other components where people miss, like the average age of account. So it's like the longer you've had this chore, the better it is for your score. Like I have a lot mm-hmm. of, um, I have a friend of friend of mine is you know does super well for himself makes over seven figures but like he had a his credit score went down he's like man evan why'd my score drop and uh he's like i pay my bills and everything and he was like the only thing i did was i closed my card from college i'm like Hmm, that was it yeah Yeah. you just destroyed your average age of accounts you know so uh it's it's the little things we're just trying to simplify it so it's like it we want it to be a family experience because it's yeah. such a large audience that doesn't understand it so they're kind of learning together and they feel their feel their kids getting smarter around it it's just a better experience so that's that's what we try to tackle each day like how can we make it a better family experience and i have a feeling because of the way that you grew up the way you've told us about your your mom especially like having conversations about money in the household was not so much of an issue for you it wasn't as taboo, I guess, is the word to use. And and same situation for me. So I, I'm a person who in my day job, I'm constantly talking to people about what to do with their money as a household, as a family, as a whatever. And it's also because I grew up in a household where uh, it was probably overshared in some instances just how we were doing uh, financially and, and what mm-hmm. money was going toward what and those kind of things. And so I say that to say, like, I think as parents, we have to remember to to uh show our kids exactly how we want them to behave as adults with money and the more we become caged in cagey about it the more they take that as a sign that money is not something i'm supposed to talk about money is not something i'm supposed to really focus on too much as an adult and that's obviously the wrong you know sign that we want to be sending so it's good that you know a person who grew up in a household with a little bit of an opposite approach is the one designing this platform because then you know kind of what to be pushing to to help get people to to where you want them to be. But um, so my last question, I, I'm going to transition this a little bit completely away from Kitty Credit, so you can kind of turn off your your founder hat for us, take off your founder hat for a second, and just like you know, let your shoulders down and relax for a second. But let's imagine for a moment that you never found your passion to bring financial literacy and tech together, right? So you had to choose a completely different path but money wasn't a factor in your decision at all. What do you think you'd be doing right now? 
See, the funny thing about it is I've been asked that question before Kitty Credit and Kitty Credit mm-hmm. was the answer. <laughs> so if, but now that I've been in this space for a while, I would probably be on the other end of it helping out founders. Hmm. So be it, you know, really, really helping folks get businesses off the ground mm-hmm. and like having some scalable solution that worked in, in, in cities and really got them from napkin idea to some sort of concept and did not necessarily going the venture route. This could be from somebody that says, I want to open a barbershop and it's like, mm-hmm. all right, cool. Here's the steps. Um, I've seen some programs make, make strides in those directions that do really well, but like pushing for that in, in multiple cities, that would be I cool. I, mean, I, just, a, I like being around entrepreneurs. I hear a local small business incubator in your future, my friend. That's, Something that's along those lines. And and not I don't know if I could be in the weeds, but I, I would really want to I would really want to create a framework that is like scalable for cities to where it's like, mm-hmm. man, if we just put this here, yep. we we can exponentially increase the amount of entrepreneurs and we can and we can ensure that as long as they're doing these steps, they'll hit these things, they'll get this startup funding. Yeah, real goal of mine. Real goal of mine. Well, I look forward to seeing it. Well, thanks, Evan. I appreciate you uh, making time to speak with me, man. This was great. Um, Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or Kitty Credit after this goes live? Uh, Everything's pretty simple for us. So, uh, you know, our site is Kitty Credit and that's credit with a K and that's K-I-D-D-I-E. I I know sometimes people think it's like the cat. It's like, no, it's (laughs) (laughs) K-I-D-D-I-E, credit, K-R-E-D-I-T. Uh, it's the same thing for, for Twitter and Instagram there. And then personally, it's just my first name, last name, Evan Leapart. Website, evanleapart.com, or you could go to Twitter and Instagram, and that's my same thing there. Not too active on Instagram, more more on Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn more than anything. Awesome. Well, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and take us home, sir? All right, gentlemen, this is a great podcast. Uh, Evan, I love the fact that you clarified that because – I don't think cats need credit. Uh, I not, don't either. Yeah, not most of the ones I meant. Most of them are just inheritors of like an obscene amount of money. Um, so who knows? <laughs> anyway, uh, again, Malcolm, great job. Thank you so much for bringing Evan on. Evan, of course, thank you so much for being here. And our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask you to share this podcast and leave a review as this will help others find the show. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing, and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening.
The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.